0: We do stand before you now with our hearts surrendered, surrendered to you. We surrendered to you many, many years ago. And Lord, we're glad to do it again. As a matter of fact, that day many, many years ago was the greatest day of our lives because we were crucified with Christ. And from that moment on, it was no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. Father, we renew our commitment here today. We stand here with our hearts abandoned and we cry out to you to renew our faith, our love, our devotion, to no longer be lukewarm, but to be boiling hot for the kingdom of heaven. As we see this world disintegrating in wretchedness and sin, fornication, iniquities. Lord, we, the church, want to stand strong with our arms high and our hearts abandoned to this world, but gripping onto you, clutching you like Mary on Resurrection Sunday. We hold on to you, Lord, because you are God and there is no other. Lord, today, let us hear you in the church as you speak through your word. We know in former days, You spoke through the prophets, but in these last days you speak through your Son. And your Son is the very words of God. So, Lord, let us hear what the Word of God has to say to us today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. You may be seated. I I know that we have people that just tuned in online. So I'm going to identify our church again, I'm Pastor Joe Trapani, I'm with Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches in Lake Worth, Florida, and or I'm sorry, Lantana, Florida. And we're just a quarter mile west of I-95 on High Paluxo Road, which is the north border of Boynton Beach and the south border of Lantana. So we're just a quarter mile west on the north side of the road it's in Lantana, I could throw a rock to Boynton Beach, so come on by if you're local. We're here every Sunday at 10. We're here every Thursday night at 7:15, and we're also we have a men's Bible study on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., which is an awesome study. And uh, only Sunday and Thursday are streamed. So tune in. Go to our website, Freedom Church PB stands for palmbeach.org, dot org. Freedom Church PB dot org. Um, I want to thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned. Get your Bibles out. Get to Matthew chapter 12. And uh, I want to tell you that at our website, freedomchurchpb.org, you can listen to any of our services from past. You can see our ministries. You can read the beliefs that we holding dear. I'm going to tell you the foundational belief is Jesus came, he's died, he was buried, and he has risen the third day according to the scriptures. That's bottom line. Every Christian church should have its foundation on that right there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else is shifting sand. So stay in the word of God and receive him as your savior as we're going to see here today and almost every day. Listen, for those online, you can even donate to us. You know, if you're part of this church, you can send your tithes in that way. If you want to, you can mail 2810 High Poluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, 33462. If, you're the, if we're the only um, church that, that you listen to online, or it's the main one, then, then you're part of this church, and your tithes should go to, to this church. If you're part of another church, you know, give your gifts and offerings if the Lord should lead you. Very important, and you have a joyful heart in doing so. Anyway, we thank you and, and uh, for being here. So let's, uh, before I get started, one of our number here called me up and called my wife and I up, and I put my wife on because she had a testimony um, for... She had a testimony she gave me and me and my wife are sitting there in bed going, Well, you know, we're just sitting there and, and we're we're just praising God at the at the uh, the the miracle. So I wanna invite Helga up here. I'm gonna stand beside her. She's a little nervous, so listen, we're all friends here, Helga. You know every single one of us almost. <laughs> Hold up here. I'll hold oh, up. I, can't
1: hold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to tell you one little thing. Monday night, my grandson woke up screaming and crying because he had such a pain in his belly. And my daughter called her sister in law, who's the chief of surgery in one of those crazy hospitals in the Bronx where bullets fly. And she told her, take him to the emergency room because it's the appendix. So she packed him up, she put him in the back seat of the Tahoe, screaming and yelling, and she started driving to the emergency room, praying all the way, praying and praying and praying. My daughter's good at praying. So when she almost made it there, she was almost there, the kid suddenly got up in the back and said, Mommy, I'm healed. And my daughter said, No, you got to go see the doctor. He says, Mommy, I have no pain. I'm healed. I want to go home. So she took him home. She put him to sleep. Of course, she watched him all night long. And he woke up in the morning, happy and smiling, and he went to school. And there's nothing wrong with him. Hallelujah. And I swear there was the Holy Spirit after him. He was he was sick and he was healed. So Amen. that's all I wanted Amen. to
0: say. That's all I wanted you to say. He gave glory to God. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get Sometimes we get so caught up in life we forget that God's there and he does heal, you know, miraculously sometimes. You know, you, a lot of you know Elsa, her, you know, uh, um, Helga's daughter. She comes in from Connecticut. Uh, she in Connecticut or just you're in Connecticut or close to one another on the line, I guess. But uh, she's been down here many, ti- many times. And uh, it's uh, it's great to hear something like that once in a while. I quote Psalm 103, verses uh, 1 through 3, Allah, you know, Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. You believe that, right? Who heals all your diseases? Ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> who delivers your soul from the pit? You believe that, right? So why do, you, why do we struggle with the second part of that? We've got to get our faith up. You know, the word of God does not profit you. Unless you mix it with faith. So, so praise the Lord. I'm I'm excited about that. That's awesome. I love to hear that. When Jehelga told me that, I'm here like, can you, you know, you got to share this with the church to encourage us to realize, you know, sometimes, hopefully, all the times God would would heal us. And uh, sometimes it's we're not living right. Sometimes it's not enough faith sometimes, you know, we're too mean to our spouses, <laughs> you know, all, all kind of, there are other areas you've, gotta, you've got to, uh, to um, know and sure. obey, because some promises are conditional, and some promises what God says, it's, it's a, as, good as, a, as good as gold, but some come with condition, and, and uh, that promise comes with um, faith, you have to have faith. Matthew chapter 12. I, you know, last week we broke off and I just remembered this morning talking to one of our deacons. You know, I just remembered I switched off to do a ladies study since it was Mother's Day. But the week before that, you know, we did Matthew chapter 12 and we went up to about the 18th verse. And this, this we skipped a week and went to the woman thing for the Mother's Day. And then, then we're back in Matthew chapter 12. But I just want to go through real quick, and there's an outline on the back table, there should be enough of them, you know, of what I, I spoke, you know, on last, two weeks ago. But I just want to remind you real quickly. Last week, we saw that the, the, the Pharisees actually rejected Jesus. This was the point in Matthew's gospel where the Pharisees said, blah, humbug. This guy, let's get rid of him. We're done with him. So they made a decision. And it was a very bad decision, because Jesus was doing mighty things. We saw, we saw that what is you know where we identified the Sabbath last two weeks ago. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was a day in the week, but the Sabbath in the New Testament is a person. Is a person. Jesus said all. Oh, Come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Even Hebrews, you know, talks uh, talks about Hebrews chapter 3, 4 and verse 3. Let me read it to you. For he who for we who have believed enter that rest as he has said and as I swore In my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You enter into the rest of God by believing in Jesus. It is now, the Sabbath is now a day of the week. The Sabbath is always Friday night, Friday evening at sundown to Saturday evening at sundown. That's the Sabbath. It will always be that. The first day of the week is Sunday, when Jesus was resurrected. And that's where the church today, most of the church worships on, on Sunday because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. But once Jesus came into the... Our rest is no longer in Sunday. It's no longer in the Sabbath on Friday night to Saturday night. It is now in Jesus Christ. Our rest is the Sabbath. It's, it's, our rest is Jesus because He's the Lord of the Sabbath. You've got to get that picture in our mind. I gave you three examples that illustrate that the Pharisees are enforcing their standards, and their standards are not God's standards. And Jesus is not complying with their traditions and their legalism and their standards. He is going by the de- very words of God. He told them, you know, they, they got upset because the, the, Pharise- the uh, apostles were, were breaking off the wheat, walking through the field, and eating them on the Sabbath. And Jesus showed them that human need supersedes the Sabbath. If your donkey falls into a ditch, wouldn't you get him out on a Sabbath? Well, how about a person? No, we'll just leave him in there till the next day. Jesus is telling them human need supersedes the Sabbath. That's why when David was hungry with his men, and he went to Ab- 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 Abimelech, you know, the priest, and... He ate the showbread that was illegal for everybody to eat except for the priests. And he gave it to his men. See, human need supersedes the law, the Mosaic law. Human need. Jesus values you. He values people. He loves you so much that he demonstrated his love toward you that while you were yet a sinner, he sent Jesus and Jesus died for you. Human need supersedes the law. Number two on that fact, Jesus' disciples were serving Him. Jesus is saying, I'm here, the Messiah is here, and these disciples are serving me. And they no longer fast and, and do things like that because the Lord is here. The kingdom of God was on earth because the King of heaven was on earth. Number three, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, you know, to the Jews, you know, I desire mercy and sacri- better than sacrifice. I desire mercy. They forgot Micah six eight. They forgot that, oh, oh man, what does God require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. They forgot all these things. They were not humble. They didn't have any mercy because as Jesus healed the, the people, they're, they're complaining. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Leave them stay blind. Leave them stay leprous. Leave them stay, you know, all bound up by devils. You know, nonsense. You should know, every person in their heart should know that God, you know, that human need supersedes the Mosaic law. There's no doubt about it. God loves you. And the law, in Jesus even said it, the law, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yes. We take a day of rest Sunday. We don't like to do anything. I know I don't. You know I go home watch TV. You know what well, we already watched David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley this morning. You know I. You know whatever we watch, it's a day of rest if you can do so. But don't get upset. And don't get all upset at yourself because you have to take the garbage out on Saturday, Sunday. You know, big deal. The Jews made such a An idiot had such stupid things about this. They made up well how to keep the Sabbath day holy. They had 24 chapters in the Talmud, how to keep the Sabbath day holy. And it's you know, it's only like three verses in the Old Testament. But they had twenty-four chapters on how to do it. You can't spit because you're now you're plowing the ground. Idiot things like that. And no, God values man more than anything else. They were hard-hearted. Listen, I don't know about you. I don't care if it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If somebody's there that's blind and and God has him healed, I'd rather him be healed. I don't care what day of the week is. That person's need supersedes whatever day it is. Let's get back to reality. Let me put it this way. How about common sense? Just regular common sense. Jesus proved he was the Lord of the Sabbath because he began to heal on the Sabbath. So not only did he say he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he began to prove that he was by healing on the Sabbath. So the answer to the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Then the answer is yes, yes. Jesus always places greater value on mankind. That was a little message two weeks ago. The title of the message was, "The, Gent- the Pharisees reject." title of this message in pa- chapter 12, verse 18 through 30, but I'm going to start at the 15th verse, is "The Gentiles receive Jesus, but the Pharisees reject." And I'm going to tell you what, That is a sad day if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 12. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them. This is right after the battle with the Pharisees. The question is, aware of what? Verse 14 tells us, Tells us, if you went backtracked a little bit, it tells us they counseled together against Jesus and how they might destroy him. This is where they decided we gotta get rid of him. Let's cut him off. Let's cut his throat. Let's get rid of him. How are we gonna do that? That's what they're trying to do here. Because he was healing on the Sabbath. He's trying to teach the, the Pharisees that human needs supersedes the law god always places greater value on mankind always listen if he gave up his son for you don't you think he would don't you think he'd do greater things for you remember jesus is the lord of the sabbath as i said it, the sabbath is no longer a day of the week it is not friday night to saturday night the sabbath is not sunday the Sabbath is a person, Jesus Christ. In him you find your rest. It should be easy to understand, but man makes a project out of it. Verse 16. Let me see. Well, I'm going to read that verse 16 and onward for a little while. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. Listen to that, all. Now, why was that there? Because he healed them all. He didn't say, oh, no, um, your blindness is too hard for me. No. He's all-powerful. And he warned them not to tell who he was. And I spoke about that as we were in the earlier chapters of Matthew. It was, There's was an appointed day in Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, that the Messiah would be recognized as Messiah on a certain day. And it was it was uh, it was 173,880 days from the day that the edit was signed to rebuild Jerusalem, and the wall, and the temple, and that date is marked in history, March 4th, 444 BC. If you count off the 173,880 days according to Daniel's 69 weeks of 483. Years by by um, by not by the our calendar today, but by the the other the the Hebrew calendar. You know, it's it comes out to you know 173,880 days. If you count from March fourth, 444 B.T., you will end up in Jerusalem on on on. Palm Sunday, when Jesus was identified as the Messiah, when they threw the palm branches down and cried out, Hosanna, and Hosanna in the highest, great is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That day was identified. Jesus had a time schedule. He had to be in Jerusalem on that day so that everybody could know that he was the Messiah. And of course, you know, not many days later, Jesus was crucified, and the city of Jerusalem was packed with people because they came at Passover from all over the world and find Jesus in Jerusalem and the whole the whole world that's why after the acts at Pentecost and you know at Pentecost you know they spoke in like 16 different languages and those people went back to the world and they took the message that Jesus came he died he's buried and he is risen to the rest of the world by the time Paul was was captured by the Romans and sent to Rome, there were already churches in Rome, because they were at Pentecost and they brought the message to them. Okay, behold, my servant whom I have chosen. We're talking about the Messiah here, identified by Isaiah the prophet, my beloved in whom I am well pleased. I will put my spirit on him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. For most of us here today that have no Jewish background, you're a Gentile. And God's promise in Gentiles, hope, because we can have Messiah. As I titled this message, You know, the Gentiles receive Jesus, but the Pharisees reject him. Note in verses 18 through 21 that God the Father is speaking. My beloved Son in whom my soul is well pleased and I put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This is God the Father speaking. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 42, the first four verses. Isaiah chapter 42, first four verses. Behold, my servant, capital S, that's Messiah, would I uphold my chosen one in whom my soul delights? I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and in the coastlands will wait expectantly for him. So, we see that the prophets were telling us he's going to come. We see that he says a bruised reed. What is a bruised reed? Well, another version says a battered reed. What's this talking about here is a battered soul, a battered reed. Reeds grow in marshes. Gentiles were always wallowing in this mud to get the, breeze, the the reeds, because they were good for one thing: musical instruments, musical instruments. God was about to use the Gentiles to speak to his lost sheep. If a, bru- if a reed was bruised or bent, it would be useless. as a a musical instrument. In other words, God will not break or bruise the Gentiles. He will not. He's going to bring them into the kingdom. God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved the Jews. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, The Gentiles, they became the children of God. He came to his own people, and his own people didn't know him. They didn't recognize him at all. He suddenly appeared in the temple, and they're going, Oh, competition! A bruised reed is easier to reach. I know, that's why when I do memorials, and I've done a bunch of them, I always go and preach the gospel because these people are broken. Most of them have a broken heart. They could be Jewish. They could be Christian, so-called Christian. They could even be true believers. If I preach the gospel, because they're broken, and it's time for them, their bruised reed is easier to reach. So if they've been bruised by the world, the flesh, the devil, the family, you know, they're easier to reach at that point. God won't bruise them. He would use them, Power to power, for his power to destroy. He wouldn't use his power to destroy them. Anyway, here's Isaiah chapter 61. Let me read some of it to you. Jesus will not break the broken reed. He would bring good news to the afflicted. He will bind up the brokenhearted. He would proclaim liberty to the captives. He would bring freedom to prisoners. He would comfort those who mourn. He would give to them a garland for their ashes. And He would give you oil of gladness for their mourning and a mantle of praise for their spirit of fainting. This tells you He will not break a bruised reed. He's going to repair it. He's going to restore it. He's going to use the Gentiles... To make them understand who he is. In other words, Messiah, according to Isaiah chapter 61. And not only that, Isaiah chapter 28 and several other chapters, you know, he's not, he's not going to hurt anybody. He's going to, to uh, repair their broken heart. Well, next one, what is a a smoking wick? One version says a smoldering flax. Flax wicks are used for 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 lamps, as you well know, right? The Lord will not throw water on your lamp. You know what? And when you see Jesus in in, in uh, Revelation chapter three, he he shows he's known as the high priest who's walking amongst the seven lampstands. Do you think he's throwing water on those lamps? The, on those lamps? No. You know what the high priest does? He puts oil in those lamps. So that the lamps don't burn out. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to take this, there's a, there's a smoldering wick within the Jewish nation, and there's a smoldering wick and broken flax within the Gentiles, and He came to repair them and to restore them. He's putting oil on in the lamps so that they're, and He removes their ashes. You know, if you have a fireplace, Every once in a while, you've got to remove the ashes or else, you know, your fire isn't going to burn good. Well, he's removing the ashes. That's our sin. He's removing the ash of our sins, And then he's putting more oil in. So once you remove the ash, now you f- it's fanned up the flame. That's the job of the high priest. And Jesus is, as you well know, the high priest. He is the high priest. He walks among the seven lampstands, the seven churches, which identify all the churches in that day and what what was going on. It identified the seven churches throughout the Middle Ages, and it also identifies the churches in the world today. We see the Laodicean church where Jesus is outside knocking at the door. If Jesus is outside the church knocking at the door, guess where the Father is? And how about the Holy Spirit? Now, he's outside. What did Jesus do walking through the lampstands in Revelation chapter 2, verse uh, 1 and 2 and, and chapter 3 also? You know, he's walking through there putting oil on it. And do you know what oil represents in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Whew. Once you get the Holy Spirit, boy, you're fanned back the flame. And that's what he did at Pentecost. God, if you're a smoking wick, or a smoldering wick, or a smoking flax, he's, he's willing to strengthen you and to build you up by removing the ash, by removing your sin. But you have to confess your sins first. In order to be, be, be saved, you have to know that you were lost. And knowing you were lost is you're dead in your sin. You have to get a person lost before you can get them saved. Because a lot of people think that they're great. They're, I'm, I'm pretty good. I don't do nothing wrong. Oh, uh, well, um, I just heard you take the Lord's name in vain like five times. You're doing pretty well. You couldn't even uphold the, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, and there's three hundred, six hundred, thirteen commandments. Come on now. We're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. You're better than somebody else probably. Hopefully we are but you're not perfect. As I would not put a drop of urine in here and then drink it, neither will God take your sin into His kingdom. It's got to be cleansed. It's got to be washed away by the blood that Christ Jesus shed on the cross. He will remove the dross. He'll fan the flame. He'll put more oil on. That's the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. So the application to these verses, a bruised reed or a smoking wick, he will not break you, he will remake you, and that's called being born again. Don't say there isn't in the Bible. It's John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Jesus himself is talking, we must be born again. He will not put out your wick, but he will fan you back to flame. And you know why he'll do it? because you will bring glory to Him. That's why I had Helga get up here and say that, you know, give that testimony, so that glory went to God. You're no longer a smoking wick. You're no longer a bruised reed, but your ashes are gone, and you are now a blazing fire for the Lord Jesus. And that's where the church has to be. The church has to be right there today. A smoldering, no no longer smoldering, but alive and well and vibrant. And get out there and preach the gospel to everyone that we know. Verse 21, And his name will the Gentiles trust. Some versions say hope, which I just read. You know, in the, in they, will, they will hope in, in, in the Messiah. In other words, the Gentiles are going to be saved because the Jews rejected him. The Jews have rejected him. And we see in Paul's commission that he is the disciple or the apostle to the Gentiles. Here, here was his assignment as he repeats it. He gives his testimony in Acts chapter 6, verse 18. Paul was to go, open the eyes of the Gentiles, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the kingdom of pow- and power of Satan to the kingdom of God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. See, the Gentiles were easier to reach. It was the, mostly the Gentiles that followed Jesus. The Jews, a lot of them, were trying to you know, get, get rid of Him, crucify Him. And we know some of the Sanhedrin followed Jesus. We know... You know, Joseph of Arimathea, obviously respected and loved Jesus. You know, we saw Nicodemus, um, most likely. They probably gave up their place or their position on the Sanhedrin because they followed Jesus. And the, and the disciples, they were all Jewish. Now they're Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch, according to Acts, you know, and, and Acts, the book of Acts. That's my job. That's every pastor's job. And that's your job. Did you know that? To turn people from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. That is every believer's job. Jesus gave us a commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He didn't say, Pastors, elders, deacons, you know, go, therefore. He said, Go, therefore. That's an assumption for everyone who believes, to go, therefore, and make disciples. So, a bruised reed needed restored, and Jesus came, Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3. A smoldering wick needs oil, and the ashes removed, and that's what Jesus has done. If you trust in him, he will strengthen you, he will rebuild you. He will give not give up on you. He won't give up on you no matter how long you struggle with maybe a particular sin. He's not going to give up on you. You know, yesterday at the men's group, and there's a common, he's a common, he's coming a lot lately. His name is Matt. He comes to the men's group on on Saturday, and you know, he's very knowledgeable in the Bible, but he gave his testimony yesterday a little bit. You know, he started doing drugs when he was like eight years old. He's got marks all over his arm from shooting up. He pulls a picture out of his wallet, which is a Veterans Administration picture, you know, on his veteran's ID. He was, he was nobody liked him. He somehow got saved out of in all that mess. His beard was like down to here. He was just, you know, you look like, look at him, you'd be afraid to walk up to him. He showed me that picture, and I says, wow. when you go and show that to people, do they say, is that you? (laughs) You know, he got saved. He's a changed man. And it's been like that for for quite a while, and that's what God will do for you. He'll rebuild you. That's what he did to Matthew. He rebuilt him. That's what he did to me. That's what he did to you if you know Him as your Savior. He's rebuilding me even to this day. Believe me. He won't give up on you. He'll use you for His glory, and He will not break you. He will, again, like I said, remake you. Verses 22 through 24. This, But this is a people plundering, plundered and despoiled. All of them are... Oh, sorry. I think I was reading in Matthew chapter 12, and I'm reading in Isaiah. Okay, we're in chapter verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed them, so that he, the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, "This man, this man cannot be the son of David." Can he? They're saying, can he be the son of David? Can he? They knew he was coming. A lot of lot of the Jews knew he was coming. You remember, in the temple, Anna. Anna and Simeon knew that he was coming. They didn't expect a baby, but they they knew he was coming. According to what Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty four through twenty seven. One of the most specific specific prophecies that point to Messiah. That way you can say, As Isaiah, or according to Daniel's prophecy, Messiah could not show up in this generation. That's why Jesus said, if somebody comes to you and says he's the Messiah, don't listen to him. Walk away. Because he's not. Messiah could only come. And Daniel's prophecy points to one time period, one person. And that can only be Jesus Christ. Through 24, okay? But, verse 24, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Jesus is going to answer that. The common people are connecting the dots here. They're connecting, this, could this be Messiah? And here's what the Jews are saying, you know, the, the, the Gentiles are believing, the, seeing the truth, and the, the, they're calling him the son of David, which is a Messianic term. Could this be the son of David? He's healing the sick and raising the dead, the blind are seeing, the dead hear, the, the lame are leaping like deer. You know, could this be the Messiah? And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are opposing Jesus, being blind to this truth. Isaiah, let's go back to Isaiah 29. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the needy will rejoice. It was the needy that was following Jesus. You know what? Isaiah 35, verses 4 and onward. Eyes are being opened, ears are hearing. The... The lame or leaping, tongues mute, or shouting now. Come on, who else could this be? And we just went through chapter 8, 9, and 10 of Matthew where Jesus did 13 miracles. Lepers were healed, blind, saw, lame, walked, demons were cast out. Jesus already was proving who he was. And they want nothing to do with it because they have broke, they have hardened hearts. They could care less about anybody or anything, just them. Just them. But a, the common people, mostly the Gentiles, are attributing Jesus' his power to God. And the Pharisees here are refusing to give God glory. As a matter of fact, They attribute Jesus' power to Satan. That's a close call to blasphemy. Jesus' ministry is continuing from even chapter 8, 9, and 10 where all these people were healed. And I showed you from that chapter that I showed you Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Uh, I showed you all that. Jesus was, was, was doing what God's name is in the Bible. I'm God that hears. I'm God that sees. This man, here's what they're saying in verse 24, and I read it. This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. They had no more course of action, so now they're blaming the miracles that Jesus is doing, saying that he's a devil, that he's in league with the devil. So they accuse him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. In other words, working in the devil's power by commanding demons to flee by the prince of demons. You know, that makes sense. In in the book of Revelation, that's probably going to happen, because the Antichrist is going to heal people right before people's eyes. You know what the antichrist is empowered by Satan, the beast, right? And guess what? All all that Satan has to do is tell his demon to go over to that person over there, and all he's going to do, and then that person that was crippled will be will be thought to be healed when they weren't. Devil just and the devil will do that, eventually. They're trying to discredit Jesus, refusing the fact that he came from God. But Nicodemus was a little bit smarter than that, and you know, in John chapter 3. He said, I know that you couldn't do these things if you weren't from God. I just know it. Come on, let's make sense. Uh, let's make some common sense out of this. He's, it's not just one occasional healing. This is back-to-back healings. It was, we just read it, it wasn't some people that followed Jesus, it was all the people that were following Jesus that were getting healed. He got so famous and he told people don't tell anybody because he wanted to go into the cities and preach, but it came to the point that they didn't know to listen to him and he had to stay out in the rural areas because too many people followed him. He had to kind of like, if I could say it, sneak into you know, some of those houses like uh, Zacchaeus and those kind of houses. When people saw them, then they'd gather around outside and it would heal them. So these things are still happening today. When a person chooses to believe the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of a manipulation and deception and brainwashing and emotionalism, even hypnotism, They're taking glory away from God himself. But Jesus easily expo- you know, ex- exposes their foolish argument. In other words, their argument is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. So here it is, verse 25 and 26. Um, this is New American Standard. And knowing their thoughts... Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a city or a house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, and how will his kingdom stand? The bottom line here is Jesus is saying, unity promotes strength. Unity promotes strength. Leviticus 26, I'll show you. I'll prove that to you through the scriptures. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 7 and 8. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred will chase ten thousand. Your enemies will fall before you by the sword." A hundred will chase a thousand. They're talking their strength and unity, and wait a minute, this sword, what's it talking about here? You know what it's talking about. It's not talking about a literal sword. it's talking about this sword thirty one thousand one thirty three thousand one hundred and two verses of scripture are all swords, and you can always use any one of them, practically any one of them to to combat. Fight against the devil. The sword is now God's kingdom. The the sword is the word of God. When Jesus comes back, you know, he's coming back in the clouds and he's going to slay his enemies by the sword of his mouth. You know what it's talking about? Not a literal sword, the word of God. Because a sword is the word of God. So how's he going to wipe them out? Just by scripture. Jesus knows their thoughts here, and he attempts, they're attempting to trick him, and he quickly blows them down. Here we see, first of all, he knows their thoughts, it says in verse 25. You know what? You know what his name is? El Roy, which El Roy means the God who sees and hears. Here he is. They weren't talking out loud. He's reading their thoughts. Okay? That means that he is the God that sees and hears. And that's not the first time Jesus did that. He's also known here, you can see it, as El Shammah. Because he's the Lord that is here. He's the Lord that is there. Just like Hagar when Abraham put her out of the clan. She she was in the desert. He just gave her enough water and food for a day, and she cries out to God. And she says, you are, when God answered her and showed her a well, she said, you are the God that is there. You're here with me in this desert, in the wilderness. So no matter where you are in life today, if you're in the wilderness of life, and things just aren't happening, know that God's there with you. And number two, he discredits their argument for a second time about he's casting out demons by demons. He said in verse 27, If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, then by whom do your sons cast them out? For, the reason, for this reason they will be your judges. What he's saying here is you have acknowledged certain exorcists in your religion. He says, by, okay, then who do they cast them out? Are they operating by the devil also? So he blows them apart again. It's not a good thing to try to out-trick God because he's way smarter than you. His ways are not your ways, and her way, his ways are way above your ways. You can't even, even compare to him. So he just blows their bad Logic right out the door. Verse 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Since I cast out demons by God, see, the kingdom of God is now on earth. The kingdom of God is still now on earth because we represent the kingdom on this earth. We represent the kingdom. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are a high-ranking diplomatic official in a foreign land representing your homeland. And that's what we're doing down here. We represent Jesus Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. What he's saying is, if I do these things by the Spirit of God, you're working against God, and the kingdom of God is right here on earth. And why is it right here on earth? Because I am with them. I am here. And that's why the disciples could eat the wheat, as they walked through the wheat field on the Sabbath. Now, the next verses are commonly taken out of context a lot. Or how can one enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? Then they shall plunder his house. Listen, I want you to know, at Jesus' birth, Satan's power and control over the earth was disrupted. When Jesus was born on this earth, the power and control of the earth was disrupted. But God is now here. Satan is here, but God is now here on earth. Number two, in the wilderness, Jesus overcame the devil's temptation. And number three, at the resurrection of Jesus, Satan was defeated, and Jesus bound up the strong man. The devil was bound up in this world. He is no longer strong. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 and 16. Jesus made an open spectacle of the devil. He triumphed over him. And he defeated him there. Jesus just bound up the devil on this earth, and that's why the devils are coming out. Listen, the Pharisees are calling Jesus a devil, and the devils are calling Jesus a devil. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. Jesus says, shut up. I don't want them to know who I am. You know? So, the devils even know. The Pharisees don't know. The common people know. I hope you know. I hope you know. Because if you don't know, you're, you're in a sad place. And number four, Jesus is the one who entered the strong man's house on earth. He bound them up, and he plundered the devil. Everybody tells me they're fighting the devil. I keep saying, you know what? Jesus smashed the devil's head at the cross. It's written back in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush your skull, and you'll just bruise his heel. I want you to know when Jesus crushed Satan's head, his fangs were crushed. He no longer has a bite. He's got his head smashed in the ground, and his tail's wiggling like this, trying to make you think he's a big, bad lion. The Bible says he is, you know, the devil roars around like a roaring lion. It doesn't say he is a roaring lion. You've got to pay close attention to these adverbs and these verbs. You know, he's like a roaring lion. He is no longer a roaring lion. He prized to be like a roaring lion. He was defeated at the cross. Jesus crushed him here. His death defeated Satan by his death and his resurrection. And at his resurrection, really, Jesus just totally brought it home. Just brought it home. He bound up the strong man. The strong man has no more, no more power. The only power he has is if you give it to him. You gotta get rid of it. You gotta you gotta stand by the word of God. Jesus fought the devil in the wilderness by saying, It is written, shield of faith. Sword of the Spirit, man doesn't live by bread alone, right in the heart. The devil takes three blows, and he's out of there. Might take you a little longer than three. But you know what? Keep trying, because it is a promise. It is a promise, and God always keeps a promise. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. He has spoken, and he will do it. Might not be in your time, but he'll do it. The interpretation here is Jesus is the one who enters the house. He enters Satan's house, who is the strong man. Jesus plunders his house because of his birth, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus subdued the enemy, binding him according to Colossians 214. Let me read it to you. Colossians. Verse 14 through 16. Having cancelled, talking about the cross and Jesus, having cancelled out the certificate of death consisting of his decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, that's the Mosaic law and sin, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had. Disarmed. Listen, disarmed. the, The devil is disarmed, but if you give him a bullet by committing adultery or whatever sin, he's going to use it against you. That's all there is to it. Be sure your sin will find you out, says the Scriptures. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, that's the devil and his hierarchies, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over him through him. So Jesus is victor, and you are victorious because you are his child. So Jesus turns the tables on the Pharisees in verse 30. Verse 30, I just want to go to this end of the, uh, to the verse here. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Listen, you know what this says? Neutrality about Jesus is impossible. To be neutral about Jesus is impossible. You're either for him or you're against him. The Gentiles were for him. The Pharisees were against him. You're either for him or against him. I didn't say it. I'm the messenger that tells you what the Word of God says. If you're not actively involved with him, then you're against him. You're actively involved because you read your Bible, you practice righteousness to the best of your ability, you go to church, you give your tithes, your offerings. You know, you're involved. To refuse to follow Jesus is a choice. And if you don't, if you. Don't choose Jesus. Guess who you chose? You're either for him or you're against him. So it's a choice, and to make no cho- no decision is a decision of no. To make no decision about Jesus is a decision, and the decision is no and no. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here's Revelation 3, 15 through 17. Let me read it. New American Standard. I, Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. This is the church in the last days. This is the last days church. And I'm telling you what, church, there are these churches out there. I could identify a few of them for you. You can go online and find out there's a lot of people attacking each other. Make sure you got a right one. Fifteen, Revelation three. I know your deeds. This is Jesus. Remember, He's He's El Roy. He's El Shama, the God who hears and sees and is there. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, King James says vomit you, just so you can get the picture here. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Because you think you're rich. You're not rich. You're rich might in this world. Christians are to have a light grip on this world. This is not your home. This is not your home. Jesus' kingdom should have a tight grip on us. Every one of us will be out of here someday short of the rapture. And the rapture means caught up to meet the Lord in the air lukewarmness is no good. And to be lukewarm also is a decision of no. You're not actively involved with Jesus. There's no middle ground. No middle ground whatsoever. The Pharisees have a choice. You know, you now have a choice. For those of you over the internet, for those of you here, you have a choice too. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do about this choice? you Are going to say yes to Jesus, or are you going to say no? The kingdom of God is knocking at your door. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. He's knocking at the door. He's not going to grab the doorknob, because he's a gentleman. He's not going to come in unless you ask him to come in but as many as received him. That means you asked him in. He gave you the right to become a child of God. You have the right to choose him. He chose you, but he chose everybody in the world. I don't know if you know that, but all men are chosen to find Jesus. They just won't. One person isn't better than the other person. God loves them all, us all, are just the same. Could you say, I love my daughter uh, Mary more than you love your daughter Sue over here? No, you never say that to your children, neither will God. He loves you all the same, whether you're, you're a bad guy or a good guy. He loves you. Will you open the door and let him in? You know the verse. A lot of people use it all the time. For those over the Internet, if you confess your sins, if you confess, I'm sorry, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you've got to confess with your mouth. You've got to say, Jesus is Lord. I remember that day when the Holy Spirit fell on me. And, I, and, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Jesus is Lord. And I said, He is Lord. I couldn't believe it. It was like, boom, lightning flash. All of a sudden, I knew within my spirit, Jesus Christ was the Lord. And I made my decision to follow him. So I confessed with my mouth, Jesus as Lord. And I believed in my heart because the Holy Spirit came upon me. And all of a sudden, he's, you know I, I felt the Spirit whip around and go right into here. Confess with, with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. A lot of people raised their hand and they said they wanted to be a Christian, but their heart was not involved. And if their heart is not involved, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks at the what? The heart. He's interested, not if you confessed with your mouth so much as you believed it in your heart. Faith, that's called faith. And then he goes on to say, For with your heart one believes unto righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. And with the mouth you confess unto salvation. With your mouth you're confessing unto salvation. And verse 13 of this chapter, Romans 10, says... For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We already know that, according to Scripture, who is the name, who is the Lord. So, whoever calls on Jesus Christ the Lord, then you shall be saved. Not might be, shall be. John put it this way. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. (coughs) Simple as that. You can know that these things are possible. If you have Son, you confess with your mouth, and with your heart you believe, and you are on active duty in this earth for the King of kings, then you are saved. And when... You're gone to be absent from the Lord. You're going to be present. Be absent from the body. You're going to be present with the Lord. No doubt about it. I always give that message of encouragement at memorials because it's important. Paul, Peter, all tell us I don't want us to be ignorant or not uninformed. I want us to know these truths. So, for any of you out there that not know, don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can ask Him confess with your mouth you can believe in your heart with all your heart you shall be saved and i hope you are and if you are how about if you email me joe at freedomchurchpb.org or come in yourself and tell me next sunday or even thursday night would appreciate it and if you have the angels in heaven are jumping up and down leaping for joy for another person has entered the kingdom of god and we thank you So tune in next week, 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7.15. And God bless you all. I love you.